You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. us some of the consequences that could befall a nation when its people turn away from God. There is no other nation on the earth that will ever have the position that Israel has. No other nation can be called the apple of God's eye. That is the nation Israel. Always was, always will be. It would be a mistake to claim many of the specific promises that God makes for Israel because they were specific for a certain time and a purpose. Israel was formed by God through a miracle, and as a nation, they were called to be a blessing to all nations. As Pastor Dave will clarify in today's message, God didn't intend to only have relationship with them. He wanted them to be an example for others of what it looks like when a nation lives in submission to Him. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 25 as he continues his message, and in the end... Jeremiah 52, you can read a detailed story of what they looted from the temple. There's nothing left. Everything's on fire. Everything's either on fire or smoldering. The temple is in complete ruins. Solomon's beautiful, gorgeous temple that he built as under the Lord, under the Lord's specifications, was no more. It was done. There is no temple. The first temple is gone. Completely wiped out. We know there'll be another one because we know there was one in Jesus' day. We know that when Nehemiah asks Artaxerxes to go back and start rebuilding the walls, we know that Jerusalem was rebuilt. Temple was rebuilt in all its glory, only to be destroyed one more time in A.D. 70 by the Romans. There will be a third temple. There will be a third temple. The Antichrist is going to give Israel the permission to build a third temple. It's going to take three and a half years to build. And at the end of the three and a half years, they're going to invite this leader of the world, this Antichrist, they're going to invite him to come and dedicate the temple. And when he gets there, he's going to commit the abomination of desolation. He's going to declare himself as God. And he's going to tell them they have to worship him because he's God. And then that goes from the tribulation which happened the first three and a half years while they were building the temple to the great tribulation the last three and a half years before Jesus returns interesting this was the land that God had given to the people this was all the 12 tribes Jacob's sons We're given the land. Remember when we studied Joshua? Remember when we studied all that? We went through Judges. We studied all the land that they were given. God had given this land. They possessed it for 860 years. It was their land that God had given it to them. They took the land by faith and by obedience. Yes, they didn't completely get rid of all of the other people like they were supposed to. But they took the land by faith. 
They took the land by obedience and they lost it because of idolatry and sin. So what happens next now that they've done all this thing? They're not done yet. Let's look at 18 through 21. And the captain of the guard took Zeruiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these men and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Thus Judah was carried captive from its own land. It's interesting. Babylonian officers capture the religious leaders of the city as well as the king's staff, and they kill them. The priests are the ones who polluted the house of the Lord with idols and encouraged people to break the covenant. They were the ones that built the, uh, the idols in the house of the Lord. You can read about that in 2 Chronicles 36, Lamentations 4, and Ezekiel 8 and 9. And they were killed. They were, they were killed because of their sin, because of what they had done. They put a new governor in place. Look at 22 and 24. Then he made Gedaliah, the son of Achim, the son of Saphin, governor of the people, who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now when all the captains in the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizbah, Ishmael, the son of Nathaniah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, Saraiah, the son of Tanhumeth, the Neopathite, and Jazaniah, the son of Makathathite, they and their men. We're going to have fun when we get to Second First Chronicles. Man. Then Jedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. So they get this new king. They put a new king. But he's not a king. He's a governor. Remember, the king of Babylon now owns all of this, and he's ruling. He makes him governor. It seems that this guy was kind of a good guy and kind of a godly man. But what's interesting here is when you read Jeremiah 26 and Jeremiah 29, he's a friend of Jeremiah's. He's an acquaintance of Jeremiah. He said, dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be good with you. My Guzik quote, quote, it seemed unpatriotic and perhaps ungodly to do this, but it was the right thing to do. The best they could do under this situation of deserved and unstoppable judgment was to simply accept it from the hand of God and do the right thing under the Babylonians. So when judgment falls upon the United States, what are we to do? Those of us that call our patriots, are we to grab our muskets and start fighting? Or are we to know that it's God's hand upon us and to allow God to do his will? Interesting. That's what Guzik is saying that they did. It was the right thing to do because although it was hard to accept, 
It was true that the Babylonians were doing the work of God. God was using the Babylonians to pronounce judgment on Judah. He was using them. Who is he going to use to pronounce judgment on the United States? We're doing a pretty good job of ourselves. In this situation, to resist the Babylonians was to resist God. It was better to humble yourself on to them and submit to the judgment of God brought to the Babylonians. This was the question that pondered the great prophet Habakkuk. This was the question that pondered him. And even though Judah was wicked and deserved judgment, how could God use an even more wicked kingdom like Babylon to bring about judgment? Habakkuk dwells on these subjects and answers these questions in Habakkuk 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 8. Got to read these things. And they're all connected, folks. It all is connected. It all connects. Gedaliah is now the governor in place in Judah. Look at 25 through 27. But <laughs> it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Ishama, of the royal family, came with ten men, struck and killed Jedidiah and the Jews, the Jews, as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. And all the people, small and great, and the captains of the armies arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. So they all ran to Egypt. Is there something weird about that, or is it me? They're all running to Egypt. They're all running back to Egypt. Where were they for 400 years as servants? Uh, Egypt. What does Egypt always represent? The world, bondage, slavery. They went back to Egypt. They ran back to Egypt because they were afraid. They conspired and they killed the governor. They assassinated him. They assassinated him so they, they became frightened. They realized, gee... If Nebuchadnezzar hears about this, we're in big trouble. We better go to Egypt. <laughs> okay. So a mighty, mighty, mighty nation had fallen. Israel was no more a long time ago. And now Judah is no more. There's no more of this. They're done. Another nation that had known the power of God. Another nation that was created by God. And as long as God was the center of the nation, they were strong and victorious. But when they failed and turned from God, they became destroyed by their enemies and the nation ceased to exist. It's going to be 70 years. It's going to be 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied that, the Babylon, that they would be in Babylonian captivity. And again, I suggest, read Jeremiah, read Ezekiel, read Daniel, read some of the minor prophets and see what they have to say about these subjects that we're talking about right now. It's all there. It would take us forever to go through all the various different cross-references there. It's incredible. Read them and look at them. This is the background for this particular point of history. Somebody reappears in verse 27 through verse 30. Somebody makes an appearance. Look at 27. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of captivity, Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the 27th day of the month, that evil Murdoch, 
king of Babylon, there's a new king in town, in that year he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for the provisions, they were as regu- there, were, there was a regular ration given to him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. So he comes out of jail, and he makes out like a bandit. And he's going to get provided for. All the rest of his life, all the rest of the year, and he dies in captivity. Dies in captivity. And in the end, we've come to the end of this glorious book, but not the end of my study. Answer me this. It's a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it. What are the consequences of nations turning away from God? What are the consequences of nations that turn their back on God? Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as an inheritance. Now the psalmist here is speaking none other than the nation Israel. Let's get that straight. The psalmist is speaking about Israel. God chose Israel. Have you ever had that question? Has anybody ever come up to you and go, Why did God choose Israel? The answer is because he's God, and he is sovereign. He can choose whomever he wants. But he chose Israel as a nation that would bring forth the Messiah. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 18, Malachi 4, and Isaiah 7. God chose it and promised to provide and to bless and protect the Israelites if they followed him. Remember as we studied They came to the mountain, and God said, You will be my people, and I will be your God. And I will take care of you. Remember as we went along, but now we want a king, because everybody else has a king. It was supposed to be a theocracy, which was being governed of God. And they wanted a monarchy. The Old Testament gives us heartbreaking things that happened to them when they turned away from God. Israel's history shows us some of the consequences that could befall a nation when its people turn away from God. There is no other nation on the earth that will ever have the position that Israel has. No other nation can be called the apple of God's eye. That is the nation Israel. Always was, always will be. It would be a mistake to claim many of the specific promises that God makes for Israel because they were specific for a certain time and a purpose. Nations today are not promised bumper crops and healthy livestock if they obey the Mosaic law. That promise was for Israel under the old covenant in the promised land. The blessing was specifically tied to the land of Israel. But many of the general principles found in Scripture applicable to everyone. They're applicable to everyone. We can learn from Israel's history what generally is to expect when nations honor the Lord and what we can generally expect when they do not honor the Lord, when they rebel against his commands. We saw that. That was what the entire study of 2 Kings was about. How this people, first of all, they split, remember? They split, there were two kingdoms, and how they went against God. And how God had to deal with them. As long as the Israelites, meaning 
Israel and, Ju and Judah honored the Lord, the Lord, destroyed temples of idols, kept God's commandments. He was actively involved in their defense. Read Exodus 14 as the first example of the Lord as the defender of the newly formed nation. As Moses went out, Pharaoh and his armies came after him. You know the story. God acted miraculously on their half, opened the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. But in contrast to this miraculously intervention, the Bible gives us an example of God refusing to intervene. He didn't intervene with Judah. He did not intervene. He allowed them to go down the tube. He allowed them. He allowed that to happen. It was the end of God's blessing on Israel for that particular time. God's chosen people had defiled the Lord. They built idols in the temple. They filled their lives with fornication, murder, and adultery. They, they had desecrated the temple and ignored the law for generations and generations. God sent prophets to tell them about it, called them to repentance, but they would not listen, and they often killed those messengers. The Lord warned them repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And when they refused to listen, he sent people in to take them out. They take them captive. Great nation was brought low. Lost the blessing of God. God wanted to give them a blessing. They lost it. General principle we learn is that sin brings negative consequences. And God warns individuals even nations, that what you reap, you will sow. If you reap to the flesh, you will sow to the flesh. But if you reap to the Spirit, you will sow spiritual things. Go back in ancient times. Go back in ancient times and look where God's judgment came down upon Edom. You can read about that in Jeremiah. Assyria, you can read about that in Zephaniah. Sodom, you can read about that in Genesis. Even Babylon in Jeremiah 51, they're all wiped out. They were all gone, according to the biblical prophets, for their evil that they did before the Lord. There's no representative of the Hittites. There's no representative left of the Moabites. There's no representatives of the Philistines or the Termites. None of these people are left. Caught that one, huh? Tried to slide that one by. There is none of them left. God wiped them all out. They're all gone. God promised Israel and blessed them in prospering them when the people honored him. You see where I'm going with this? God brought them into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And when they obeyed him, he promised that he would provide everything they needed and protect them constantly. And he did that faithfully. Even when they went against them. How many times, how many times did we read in Judges that everybody did right what was in their own eyes? He'd send a judge in, and they all repented, and everything was happy. And all of a sudden, everybody did wrong, right, but was in their own eyes. He sent another judge in, time and time and time and time again. But they continued to follow these wicked kings into idolatry and harlotry, spiritual adultery. So God sent famines. He sent pestilence. He sent pestilence. We can learn this from the Lord. He delights in prospering those who are loyal to him. Just read Psalm 25, Proverbs 13. Material wealth is no proof that God is blessing a nation. There's no proof in countries that prosper. 
But when we honor the Lord and we obey his commandments, we reap the benefits of living honorably, morally, and honesty. A nation that honors God's laws reaps the benefits as well. History shows that. It shows that exactly. God gives us his law for our own good. He created us, as we've talked so many times recently in 1 John, he created us to fellowship with him, to, to fellowship with him and walk in, run, walk in righteousness. And when we do that, we're living in healthy boundaries that he established and we're protected from a lot of heartache and, and the catastrophe that Satan wants to give to us. But when a nation turns away from the God and becomes its own God, the Lord removes his protective hand and allows that nation to experience the world and all the world demands. Look at Romans 1. Shows us the progression of people and the nations that have defiled God and redefined morality. In Rome, they redefined morality. Rome was one of the most decadent cities ever. The good news is God knows who are his and God knows who keeps his promises and who keeps the covenant that was made with Jesus Christ on the cross, the new covenant. When all others turn away, it's comforting to know that God is watching, that God knows all, and he will judge righteously. And even when a nation turns away from God's individuals within that nation can still follow him. They can still seek him with their whole heart and know his names and know that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I am not here to judge my beloved country. Not my job to judge the United States of America. That belongs to God. But somewhere along the line, if God doesn't judge the United States of America for the abortion issue alone, I don't know. Maybe he were being judged right now. I am not judging my country. I want so much for my country to come back. But ever since the late 50s, when they took prayer out of school, it started to snowball. It's as if we were going down the train yard and somebody said, okay, let's throw this switch. And we went off. And we've never gotten back on track. We've never gotten back on track. What was, what was satisfied at the end of the Civil War with the slavery issue, never materialized. Never, ever materialized. It just seemed to get worse. Now we're reaping what we sowed. I love my country. I love my country dearly. But as I said before, I love my Jesus more. And I'm a Christian first and a patriot second. And I love my Lord dearly. And he is the answer to the problems that's, that, that are plaguing our country right now. And we've just read an entire book in the Bible about two kingdoms who went against God and are now, no, according to right now, they don't exist anymore. You are a sure This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. 
In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We encourage you to keep looking to Scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it, you'll be able to find them on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope. Oh